You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, gang? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, Packers Total Access at gmail.com. You can text us 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside Tim live in Green Bay. We'll have Emilio, the redneck quarter Mexican quarter Italian, join us here in a second. And uh, just here to talk a little Packers, talk a little little coaching change maybe, uh, get into a little bit of free agency, kind of talk about where we're at to this point as far as the roster eval and what we think the needs are going to be going into the offseason. And we might even take a glance at the salary cap at some point too. But, Tim, how you doing this morning, buddy? Feeling good, man. Got the diesel going, you know, ready to roll. How, how about you, man? How you doing? I'm the same as Doug, man. Got the smooth vanilla diesel in the cup today. That's my, that's my choice too, Doug. I like to throw a little – a little vanilla in there, man. You know what I mean? Uh, for the longest time, I was a mocha guy, and now I'm I'm, I'm on the vanilla. Here pretty soon, I'm, I'm sure I'll be on the caramel, and it'll be all over. I'll be 700 pounds, so you know how it is. I, I'm one of those guys that adds about 600 calories to their coffee every morning, but I, I brew it. I take normal coffee grounds and grind it down to a fine powder like espresso and then run it through the machine like espresso. So it's just, I mean, it looks like, it looks like diesel is what it looks like. It looks like tar. Um, and then hit it, hit it with the cream, man. So the best of both worlds, you know, See, I'm look, I'm, I'm old school, man. Coffee, it's got that dark coffee, don't you? Coffee in the cup. <laughs> nice. And then I drink it. <laughs> My man. Yeah. That's uh, I don't know, man. I, uh, I've never been a, just a, a, a black coffee guy personally though. Anyway, no, I wasn't a coffee drinker until a couple of years ago. My wife got me on it, and it's the only way I can drink it. it. So it's either that or nothing for me, man. And I and now I'm hooked, so I can't give it up. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, let's see here. Uh, and this is usually the response I get when I explain that to people. Doug says, if AFAM or Paul were here, we'd have our manhood question, Clayton. Very, very true. Very true, Doug. Luckily, they're still hung over. They, they stayed up late last night listening to Taylor Swift. <laughs> and they're uh, they're wore out this morning, so there you go. Much, uh, I don't listen too much Taylor Swift. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly, Jordan. Uh, number one Packer fan says Clay is multicultural with his coffee choice. I, now that there is a little truth to that, Packer fan. One of the things that me and Mandy like to do a lot is I love to go online and shop for coffee all over the country, you know, and just try like, you know what? I want to try some from Maine. We ordered some from Maine one time. Um, I found a really cool place in the Hudson Valley up in New York, uh, Sleepy Hollow, New York, in that area. It's called uh, Coffee Labs. They got a website. They got one called uh, Witch's Brew. Oh, it's so good. It's so it's got like hints of like vanilla and chocolate and a couple other things. And it's just a really good blend. Uh, so I like to do that. I like to try it from all over the world. Of course, you know, the the Black Rifle Coffee and everything they represent. Love that. So just some some good brands out there for sure. We I do got a recommendation for you uh, if you want to try some Wisconsin coffee. From, all right. Uh, our neighbors in De Pere here. Uh, shout out to Luna Coffee, man. Um, I'll, I'll send you some. I'll send you, yeah. I'll send you a little sampler. Got to try it, man. I, I like I said, and we we went to uh, Alexandria, Virginia, this last spring. Went up there and spent a week, and there was a place that had a Turkish coffee shop, and I was all excited because you know anybody who knows me, like my on my mom's side, my family immigrated from that area of the country. You know, kind of kind of over toward Turkey, Hungary, places like that. I'm like, man, I can't wait to try this Turkish coffee, bro. It was like sand water. Like it was, <laughs> I was chewing that stuff. I was like, I don't know, man. I'm I'm proud of my heritage, but I can't take this. This is rough. This is rough. So. I didn't want to eat my coffee. I want to drink my coffee. <laughs> exactly. It's like spreading it on toast or something, right? So anyway, that's enough coffee talk. People are people already shut the pot off. So hope y'all have a good day. Hopefully you heard that. But <laughs> anyway, here we go, Tim. Uh, one of the things we talked about last night was the potential defensive coordinator hires, and and we said we were going to get an offensive line free agency talk today too. So I've got my chart here from all these defenses. One of the things I broke down this morning was trying to determine when you talk about the top defenses, we we pretty much listed it out: Baltimore, Kansas City, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Las Vegas, and New Orleans. To me, were the most appealing defenses. Uh, some people like the Jets. That's okay. I'm not as big a fan. I think they're loaded with talent on the defensive side of the ball. And the fact that they gave up so many points to Miami, so many points to Cleveland, I, it's just a hard sell for me. I, I would much rather stick with what we had where we know it's going to be rare we give up more than 20 points than have a have a game where it's like, I don't know, three or four games a year where they just get absolutely boat raced on the defensive side of the ball. And that's kind of give and take. That comes with, uh, with being a more aggressive defense, right? And people – I think many people look at, man, I want a more aggressive defense. You do until you get burned. And then all of a sudden, it's what are we doing? Again, I question you, or I challenge you to go back and watch that Tampa Bay game in the playoffs when Mike Pettin's last year as a DC, and we gave up that big touchdown right before halftime. Right? Yep. Everybody roasted Kevin King, and I remember watching it, going, "Why are y'all mad at Kevin King? They were playing cover two. <laughs> they were playing cover two zone. Yep. No one. They're looking to take a deep shot. No one. They're probably going at least three vert, maybe four vert on that specific uh, situation to play. So. Yep. Um, when it comes to those top defenses, Baltimore runs, and these are fronts, okay? Keep in mind, these are base fronts. And what I mean by that is uh, when when a team is in 12 or 21 personnel, and in some cases 13 personnel, like I think the Chiefs like to do a lot of this year, um, it's going to trigger your base defense. So what base defense are you in? You know, we run a 34. We, we run what I refer to as a 34 jam, okay? There's nothing really exotic about our 34. It's just real simple. Three down, three down linemen within the tackles, and then a couple wide nines, right? And you're putting five on the line of scrimmage. You're forcing them to leave someone into chip or block single, just man to man, head up, right? And it also puts five on the line of scrimmage where you can set the edge on the outside run. So we run a 34 jam. Now, if we go into what other people 
run across the league as far as those top defenses. Baltimore runs what we call a multi-front, okay? That's something that was made very popular by Bill Belichick. A multi-front, one second they can be in a 34, the next second they can be in a 43. And they like to run a lot of under, they like to run a lot of over. They'll, they'll do all kinds of stuff, bear looks, they'll mix up the fronts. I'm not opposed to that, I'm not. The problem I have with it, when you've got a defense that just lines up and goes, okay, nothing exotic, like we kind of have, have done. We've shown some mugging and it's worked, but when you just line up and go, okay, here's your assignment, and our guys can't do that, it's going to be hard for a D.C. to go, all right, guys, let's get creative here because <laughs> you're already blowing coverages in the simplest terms. So um, Baltimore, multi-front, KC, 4-3, San Francisco, 4-3, Tampa Bay, 3-4, Las Vegas, 3-4, and then New Orleans, 4-3, but they run a lot of uh, three safety sets, right? They like to do – that's something that really originated when Greg, Greg Williams was down there. Not our Greg Williams, the Greg Williams that was putting a bounty on people's head, okay? When he was down there, they started running a lot of exotic dimes, and in some cases what we call quarter, not quarters coverage, but quarter personnel, where you actually have – I think it's – seven DBs in the lineup. So you've got a bunch of safeties roaming around. So again, out of those top defenses, one is multi, two or 34, four or yeah, three or 43 with one of them being kind of a hybrid. Some would consider that a multi, but I would call it a four, three. Okay. So that's how that runs. Now, someone asked a question in here. Nick McSwain said, also, Clayton, any chance you could go over the pros and cons of the 34 and 43 defense? Is one better in today's NFL than the other? We kind of just laid it out, right? It's pretty even across the board as far as success. You can have success with a 34. You can have success with a 43. Now, as far as the differences, I just jotted a few notes down here that, that came to mind. Um, first of all, across the entire NFL, there are 17 teams that run a 34 defense. There are 12 that run a 43. Before I tell you any pros and cons from my opinion, you should take that information and go, there's your answer. These are the brightest football minds on the face of the earth. And if you've got five more teams that say, I'd rather run a 34, those coaches know a lot more than I'll ever know, right? So that's your answer. 34 is more popular and more successful in the NFL than the 43. 4-3, again, they only have 12 of those, which means the other number would be, what, three? three defenses are considered multiple uh, front defenses. All right. Now what's the pros and cons with a 34. The first thing that comes to mind for me, and these are the notes I jotted down more flexible in the 34, because you're causing the quarterback to think, and this is going to trigger people, but I'm telling you, this is the strength of the 34 defense. Okay. In a 34 front, you're putting five on the line of scrimmage. And at any point you can drop one of those backers out. And the, the quarterback has to post snap read. Now, think of the secondary. Why do we play a lot of shell? Because we're showing the same look consistently and forcing the quarterback to read post-snap. We're not giving that information away pre-snap. So you're causing the quarterback to think about the secondary, and you're causing the quarterback to think about the fire zone blitz, a.k.a. outside linebackers dropping into coverage. I know people hate it when they see it, but that's one of the strengths of the 34 defense. Again, Go back exactly. Go back and watch. Um, go back and watch the Steelers. Just just Google. All you got to do is Google James Harrison uh, pick six Super Bowl. YouTube that, and you'll see him show blitz, drop into coverage in that little quick hook zone, pick a pass off from Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, and take it to the freaking house. Right. That's the deception that goes along with it. You know, remember Quay? Some of uh, not Quay, but uh, some of Clay Matthews's picks. 
right? Same thing. Showing yeah. blitz on the outside, dropping back into coverage. You're forcing the quarterback. The quarterback comes to the line of scrimmage, and they see that 34 jam, and they go, okay, all right, hey, let's just set the protection on the on the nose. We're good if a backer fires. You guys know the, 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 the general rule from pass blocking is you protect from the inside out. A lot of people don't understand that, but it's the most immediate threat is coming from the center of the defense out. So if you're going to leave one guy coming un, unblocked, it's going to be an edge. And the quarterback has got to be able to identify which one that is. When he comes to the line, you see a 34 jam. They set the protection. If you have no chip, no help, no safe, no nothing, you come to the line, you set that protection. And now as soon as the ball is snapped, let's say your first read is front side and you look and that guy's rushing. But So you're thinking, okay, you've got a free spot here. you got a free zone. But that defense is bending over because the outside linebacker on the opposite side dropped into coverage to cover the flat, cover the hook zone on that side. Now you're having to process that information, get to your number two read. It makes things more difficult. All right. Uh, the other thing, in my opinion, is bigger defensive line. You know, what you'll see with 43 defenses is the defensive linemen are a lot smaller, right? Not a lot smaller, but they're significantly smaller, specifically at the defensive tackle spots, right? Your 2D tackles. Because a 4-3 designed to rush the quarterback. Right. That's what it's really designed to do. And you let your backers kind of take care of the run. So bigger defensive line, typically the cutoff is around 300 pounds. Now, you've got some people that are flirting with 300, but not quite over 300. To me, the threshold is 285. Once you get up to 285, you can play defensive line in a 34. The closer you are to three bucks, that's going to give you more leverage in the run game. And the, and the goal is for the defensive lines consistently to hold two gaps. Now, the thing that you have to have in a 34 defense is a dominant nose tackle. Remember Baltimore Ravens ran a 34 back in the day, right? Who was their nose tackle? Remember it was Saragusa. He was just a dominant Ooh. nose tackle in the run, the old goose. Rest, rest in peace. Um, think about the Packers the year they won the Super Bowl. Who was the nose tackle? B.J. Rogers. B.J. Rogers. Think of Baltimore when they won the Super Bowl several years ago, right? John Harbaugh's uh, Super Bowl. Haloti Nata, right? That you that's that's what it always comes down to. Think of the Pittsburgh Steelers when they went on their little run there, right? They always had a solid nose tackle. The one that comes to mind for me is Casey Hampton here, here recently. Of course, I think he's been retired retired for several years now. You've got to have a dominant nose tackle. We don't have a dominant nose tackle. I like TJ Slayton. I think TJ Slayton's a good player, but he's not a dominant nose tackle. Now think back to how we approach the draft. What's one of those tier one positions of importance? That defensive line. Defensive line. And, and when you grab one that can play nose, but also play that three to five tech in a nickel defense, that's the home run. That's the guy you're looking for. Your Jalen Carters, your Aaron Donald. You can move that guy all over. Your J.J. Watts. And people are going, Clayton, you are listing Hall of Famers. I know. It's that important, though, man. You've got to have that type of player in the middle. So from a 43 standpoint, it's a more conservative approach, okay? It's more conservative. People say, oh, we need a 43. We need more be more aggressive. It's not necessarily going to fix it. Now, if you go with a multi-front look like Baltimore does, that's a different ballgame. I would like to see them go multi. That's just me personally. But you better have the guns to, to do it. You better have the players that can handle it, right? Um, it's more conservative. There's more stunning in the defensive tackles typically, which you've seen us amp up the stunning this year. And then uh, it also relies more on the linebackers to defend the run. Some would argue it's a better run defense, right? The reason being is because you've got those three stack backers back there, right, as opposed to two in the middle. Now, if you've got a dominant nose, it, that that won't hold true that, hey, the 43 is better at stopping the run than the 34. 
because it, it, it all comes down to players, no matter if you run a 43 or a 34. It, it, you know, I love scheme more than any fan. You probably can tell I nerd out over this stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's the players that win the game. Like, like Coach Belichick used to say, players win them, coaches lose them. You can have the best scheme in the world, but if they've got the better team and they've got a decent head on their shoulders as far as the, the, the opposing coaches, you're going to get boat raced. That's just the way it is. So that's why when I look at the defense and I watch, watch the tape, I don't find myself going, man, these guys are good. We're just, we're just coaching bad. We just have a bad scheme. I, there's nothing that makes me cringe more than people going, there's a ton of talent on this defense. I'm going, just because they're first-round picks doesn't mean they're good. Yep. Go show me Eric Stokes. And just because they're seventh round picks doesn't mean that they're bad. Exactly. Exactly. Show me Eric Stokes looking like a first round pick. I want to see it because the closest thing you'll find is his rookie year. And he didn't look like a first round pick. He did not look like Sauce Gardner. Right. He did not look like your solid number one corners. When you draft a corner in the first round, you're not drafting him to be, uh, he could be the third or fourth best. Right. No, you're drafting a dude to go out on that field and produce immediately. Exactly. You're taking a corner in the first. Yeah. So hopefully that answered your question, Nick. Um, it kind of went hand in hand with what I wanted to talk about. So I want to highlight that. Appreciate the question. Nick also wants to say, can't wait for the meltdown on Twitter when a linebacker drops into coverage with the new DC. Again, what, what I said all along, if they hire a 34 defensive coordinator, it's coming. It's a coming. <laughs> Now, if you argue that I don't want Preston Smith to be the one, well, now the offense is dictating who's actually rushing the quarterback. And the only answer to that that approach is make, make Preston Smith primarily a defensive lineman. He's just about got the body to do it, right, to just say, okay, you're just going to be a defensive lineman in this defense. The problem, though, is um, he's never played that before. He's always been on the edge. Even in Washington, he was kind of on the edge, right? So, um, yeah, good stuff there. Doug says, uh, if AFAM or Paul were here, okay, that was about the uh, question <laughs> of my manhood. Chuck Norris says, 43 is better against the run. There you go. There's there's an example of someone who, who has said on 43 is better against the run. I don't necessarily uh, – I don't think it's that easy. Oh, Chuck, appreciate you being in here. You're, you're kind of a big deal, by the way. But uh, <laughs> um, I don't I don't see it that easy just going, yep, 43 is better at stopping the run. I, I just don't. And maybe you don't look at it quite that way either. But uh, there are many people that look at it like that. And the main reason is because you've got those stacked backers that are, you know, sliding side to side and be able to fill those go holes, those gaps. But, uh, again, when we looked at the run defense and everything uh, last night, all of these teams struggled against run defense, right? Um, Baltimore, 23rd against the run. Uh, well, here you go. Here's a good example. You, you know, it's kind of a and, – and, again, Chuck, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm not saying this is how you feel. It's just when when you hear a comment like 43 is better against the run, it's like it's this definitive answer, right? And I just I, – I don't believe it is personally. Um, the multi-front from Baltimore was 23rd in yards per carry allowed, okay? Kansas City was 25th. Kansas City runs a 4-3. San Francisco was 17th. They run a 4-3. Tampa Bay was seventh in yards per carry, right, allowed. They run a 34. Uh, Las Vegas was 18th. They run a 34. And uh, then you got your 4-3 in New Orleans, um, a little bit exotic, but definitely a 4-3, 22nd against the run. So if you looked at it from just those top scoring defenses across the league, um, those numbers would suggest the 34 is better at stopping the run. Um, on average, right? So just something to keep in mind there. All right, let's see uh, what else we got here. 
Um, we already hit that one. All right. Uh, Nathan in the chat says, Clayton, would you be surprised if we took a old lineman in the first round? Let me answer that for you with this uh, image real quick here. My latest mock draft. Bang. Look at my first pick. <laughs> Fuaga. I think I'm saying it right from Oregon State. Offensive tackle. Now, whether you like him or not, hey, look, he's cool. Um, he is. He's a guy that's at the top toward the top of my draft board. He was the best player available. It was what we consider a premier position, a position of tier one importance, which is uh, offensive tackle and specifically being able to play left tackle if you needed him to. This is my draft board. So if you look, Fuaga, I drafted him at the 25th pick, and he's 12th on my board. Okay, so to put that into perspective, why did I do that? Elite position, tackle, right, and he was the best player on the board. And for those of you who are looking at this color code, the green are elite positions. The blue are tier two positions. So green is tier one position of importance. Blue is tier two position of importance. The whites are everything else. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I think there's a chance that happens. You know, one of the things we've been talking about this whole time is when it comes to your offensive line, you've got some flexibility. Elton Jenkins can play center. I'm not suggesting we should do it. I'm just, just, you know, humor me for a minute. Zach Tom can play center, right? Zach Tom and Elton can play anywhere on the line. That's what's so valuable about them, right? So is Bakhtiari back? Nobody has the answer to that question yet. It'll probably I think we'll have an answer by February 20th. I think if the contract hasn't been restructured, you're probably going to see them by that date. You'll probably see him get cut. And I'll get you a specific date as we get closer. But last year, the reason I use it, you can, you know, precedent, there's precedent that's already been set here recently. We, uh, the Packers have been playing cash over cap with avoidable years and converting to base salary and, and the uh, the roster bonus, the signing bonus, so you can kind of spread that cap hit out, manipulate the cap essentially. But precedent's already been set from a date standpoint, and that was with Aaron Jones and the restructure of his deal, right? And right around the same time, you had players that were re-signing with the Packers. So um, that's the, the – around that time, we should have an answer. But – if David Bakhtiari, if he does come back, there's a good chance you could shave about seven or eight million off the cap if he comes back. If he says, I want to retire a Packer, you may be able to shave more. It depends on how generous he wants to be. If he says, No, I'm not budging, and he's not on the roster, you're going to free up roughly 20 million. I think it's somewhere around 19 million you'll free up in cap space. Okay. So, but you'll be without a left tackle. David Bakhtiari is what's going to determine how we handle building this whole offensive line room. I know people are still sold on Rasheed Walker. They're talking about how he hasn't allowed a sack in so long or a pressure or whatever it is. And that's great. And, and pass blocking is important. But why aren't we mentioning his entire grade? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value. A complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. You know, this goes back to the whole Josh Myers argument, too. It's like, well, he's actually a really good pass blocker. Okay. Are we only playing passing football? <laughs> like, you can still improve at that position. So, uh, if if Bach comes back, right, I think you probably just key in on interior offensive line. If Bach doesn't come back, you're looking for the long term solution at left tackle. Now, if if you take that tackle, and Rasheed Walker takes a huge second year step, especially on that late round rookie deal, then you're set for the future. Guess what? You've got a backup tackle that can play right tackle, and now you might be able to kick Tom to center or to right guard if that dude's just an absolute stud. Now, I'm not suggesting that Fuaga is. I'm just saying the early stages of my draft board, he's the one who made the most sense in that position, of any positions in that spot. So um, hopefully that kind of answered your question there, Nathan, or, or you know, in response to your comment. I think you there's should- a really good chance you take O-line. Clayton, you think you'd, you'd still end up drafting him anyway, though, just because we'd have to prepare for the future? Even if Bach does come back and let him sit behind him, sort of thing, or yeah, I mean, it. I think it makes all the sense in the world. I really do. It, it, you, when you try to, let me ask you this: Why would you not draft right. a left tackle if it's the best on the board, right? And and I can't come up with an answer. I can't go. Well, no, you're loaded at tackle. No, we're not. <laughs> okay, well, we're loaded at the other position. We can move over. No, we're not. Yeah, think right? about it. We think have about the tackle it. for the future. We right. don't know that. We don't know if Rashid is right. Kind of so, like D line. Like you're always going to kind of take a shot at D line just because you got to add to the repertoire. Well, yeah. what what's what's the problem? We always have seven, eight, nine, ten, ten offensive linemen. Let's make sure they're good. You yeah, know? and and again, it's about the green. Look at all the green. Those everybody in the green. That's right, including the quarterbacks are on the table, guys. If they have a higher draft grade on one of these quarterbacks than they had on Jordan Love, please don't be surprised if they take them in the second round. Like I'm telling you, man, it's it, it, you. You're setting yourself up for failure to just assume they'll never draft another quarterback again because Jordan Love had a great second half of the season. I think Love's the quarterback of the future. Um, I, I'm I'm not going to kick and scream if they take a quarterback in the first round, right? I think I would rather them not do that. But the whole reason that we had this second half surge was because Goody was willing to do it before. And you never know when someone's going to get hurt. You never know when someone's going to hit that second-year wall, right? Like, it it happens all the time in the NFL. Look at Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield came on the scene, and he lit it up, right? Everybody was like, whoa, they, they knocked that one out of the park. By year three, they ran him out of Cleveland. And now he's having success in Tampa again. So it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they're going to take a quarterback early in the draft. I'm just saying, if they do, I won't be one of the guys – cussing and kicking and screaming and throwing a fit because the best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need one. That's it. Let him sit for three years. Let me ask you this. If if somehow, some way you had, let's say Drake May or Caleb Williams had a, had a similar grade that you had on, say, a Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not suggesting that's the case. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, someone like that, right? right? Are you telling me you would pass up on that quarterback because you've got a quarterback that played well this year? It's not going to happen. There's not a team in the league. I don't even think the Chiefs would do that if they knew they could get a slam-dunk first ballot Hall of Famer young right now to replace Patrick Mahomes in two years and clear all that cap off of their space. Right, It's always an option. 
It's always an option. It's not a hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> I'm just saying it's an option out there. So when you look at the, the positions in the green, though, you're going to see tackles. You're going to see quarterbacks. You're going to see edge defenders and defensive linemen. Those are the four top tiers. If you could somehow, some way get Jerzon uh, Newton to drop from Illinois, I would be, oh, my goodness. I would be, I'm telling you right now, I'd be like a possum in a dumpster. Yeah, grinning. Over that, dude. Because that would be plug-and-play, defensive line. You got Carl Brooks looking, prom looking promising. You can bring Devontae Wyatt in on pass, down, pass rush downs because we know he's kind of vulnerable against the run, um, all those things. And it would just make your defensive line room better. So I didn't plan on going down this route, but I definitely want to hit the comments <laughs> when they come up. So there you go. Uh, appreciate it, fellas. Um, all right, let's do this. Uh, Drew D, see, Drew D's going to do it. He's going to cause a fight in here. He said, J.J. McCarthy, the guy I'd be interested in if we did take a quarterback and he fell to the second round. I'll tell you another one. Look, we're, we're going right back to it. Draft talk always dominates. Um, look at look at some of my – and I'm not suggesting my board is perfect, and it's nowhere near finished. These are, these are just three components added in, and it averaged out. I've got like five more components that's going to go into the finished product. But I like to get an early start because I don't want people running around their un underwear, uh, you know, really uh, – affecting my draft board that much. And what I mean by that is if you wait until after the combine to build your draft board, all that information's already been put in. You're going to see people overreacting over the combine numbers. I like to have my own RAS factor into my draft board. But um, nonetheless, look at the quarterbacks here. I've got Caleb Williams at five, Drake May at six, okay? And you got to slide down to Jaden Daniels at 11th. That's one that's really soaring right now. I mean, he had a heck of a year. Mm -hmm. but then Michael Penix Jr. What if Michael Penix Jr. is there at 25? I pause for dramatic effect. I don't like the idea of drafting Michael Penix Jr. with the 25th pick. But if he's sitting there and Goody has as good a grade on him as one of those top three quarterbacks, it's yeah. going to be really hard. He's for got him. his blind side and Zach Tom ready to roll. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Drew mentioned – I'm going to drop your chat down there, Drew. Appreciate you, buddy. Drew mentioned um, that uh, – that what about J.J. McCarthy? See, I have him in the 39th spot. So, if he is there in the second round, this isn't my opinion. These are people that I trust. So Greg Cosell says there's two drafts every spring. There's the NFL draft and there's the NFL quarterback draft. That's right. And what he means by that is quarterbacks are typically considered one tier higher than their current tier of value. So let, let's say if this was the finished product and it isn't, I've got a 47.6 on him. That means that anything 45 point or 45.0 to 49.9, right, would be in that current tier. He's actually worth one tier higher. So you would put him above Blake Corum in the 30 spot. That's really good value, right? I don't do that on my finished product, but it's just a mental note of, Think of a quarterback one tier higher because that's how that's how players draft them, you know. So um, anyway, I see here real street sports talk. That's a terrible take, my guy. Please let's not talk about that being an option. <laughs> hey, we I, I know this. Nobody wanted to talk about Jordan Love being an option when we took him, right? There were people kicking and screaming. Are you glad they did it? Terrible take or not, it's the truth. Again, I told you I wouldn't do it, but to sit here and bury our head in the sand and think that's not an option is. I don't know. Uh, Real Street Sports says Jordan Love is our guy. I agree. Said it all year. Said it, you know, well, since he started turning it on the second half of the year. I was the I was the knucklehead getting roasted on Twitter saying, can we give him a full year? Yeah. Uh, Real Street Sports says, I cannot believe we're talking about quarterbacks. Real Street Sports, I can't believe you're still in here. <laughs> so there you go, buddy. Have a good day. <laughs> we just we just said that though. Yeah. 
we just talked about it. We just said Jordan's our guy. And the best mm-hmm. time to take a quarterback is when you don't need one. And if a good quarterback is available on the board, don't be surprised if you take one. Mm-hmm. Correct? That, that's not an indictment on Jordan Love at all. It's it's what the, the franchise is doing looking looking ahead and looking mm-hmm. forward. And you always I I... want talent in any room of your, right. of your team. And who's to say that he's going to play? You could just draft him to trade him. Right. I mean, you know, you could it's called have having some capital, you know. Right. right. Yep. That's called that's called investing. Mm-hmm. It's called investing, Emilio. And uh, people who play Madden don't like to do that. All right. So that's true. Uh, I'll tell you this. I wish I wish I could pull a clip of, uh, of Bob Harlan telling the story of Ted Thompson when he came to him and told him about drafting Aaron Rodgers. It's it's off of the legacy documentary. It would be perfect to insert it now, but it would take too much time to pull it up. But he essentially Aaron Rodgers is falling on the board, falling on the board, falling on the board, right? And he goes, uh, he goes to Bob Harlan. Ted does and says, "Hey, hey, Bob, can I talk to you outside?" And they step out in the hallway, and he's like, uh, "So this Aaron Rodgers kid, he's like, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. You need to watch the doc; it's really good." He says, uh, "You know, uh, this this Aaron Rodgers kid. He said, uh, if he falls to us, I'm thinking about taking him." And he said, "But if I take him, you need to know, it's going to cause chaos." Like we are going to get absolutely demolished for drafting this kid. And Bob Harlan said, Hey, listen, this is your team, Ted. I told you from the get go, this is your decision. If you think it's what's best for the team, you pull the trigger. And sure enough, he said, he's the best on the board. So they went back and lo and behold, he falls. They take him. Let me give you an extra example. Aaron Rodgers, right. Who went on to win two MVPs after they drafted Jordan Love, right. He didn't just fall to us. We traded up for him. So if you need that, that's how that's how good NFL teams build their rosters. They don't sit back and go, we got our guy. We don't need it. It's just not how they look at it. They look at every piece of the puzzle as a valuable piece, and more pe- uh, some specific pieces are more valuable than others. That's the way they look at it. But that being said, I want to say it one more time. I hope they don't draft a quarterback. There you go. I don't want that. But you got to talk about it. You see, you, you got to sure say. about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. They're asking now, pull the clip up, pull the clip up, man. I, I, it would take too much time. Maybe we'll do that tonight. But again, this is you guys are the problem in the chat because y'all steer this conversation in a direction. It gets me excited every time. And I go, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. So anyway. So body parts. What is this? What are we talking about in the chat? All right, let's move on here. Let's uh, keep this thing moving, Tim. Thank you for not highlighting that one. I don't know what they're Absolutely talking Absolutely not a problem. Talking about the black market in there or something. Uh, oh, we're going to give him some <laughs> <laughs> All right. The drops are so good. Okay, so uh, what are we going to talk about? Coaches. Let me share the screen here real quick. First of all, go around the horn. Anything we just said, you guys have been sitting. I, I hate – we're 32 minutes in. Y'all said three words. Talk for a minute. Okay, please. No, I've Say said four minute. words. We're getting in there. No, I, I I like the discussion. Yeah, we have to talk about it. I obviously don't want to see a quarterback picked up. Um, Michael Michael Penning specifically. I'd I'd rather go JJ if we're gonna dive into that that battle. But um, mm-hmm. honestly, love is love is the dude. But no we doubt. need to take the best player available, and we need to help this team. You know, succeed. We we're gonna have to take shots at something, and uh, they're gonna have to show up. I mean, if we want. It's going to be a young team again, and we're going to have, probably ask a lot of the rookies too that we draft. So um, we got to clear out ten spots for them, and let's get after it. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So with the with the coordinator search here, I just wanted to touch this real quick. This is the Baltimore Ravens coaching staff. To the best of my knowledge, this is still updated. We know Mike McDonald is off the table. He's getting interviewed, but he he won't make that lateral move as a DC, and, and nor will we probably even try to waste time interviewing to make it happen and make him the assistant coach and all that. So here are some of the options from Baltimore. Why are we talking about Baltimore? They were first in scoring defense, first in pass defense, and twenty third in rushing defense. Okay, so to me, Baltimore, Kansas City, San Francisco are the top three organizations that you said you have to pick a team, an organization to take your next D.C. from. This would be it. Okay, so when you go down the line here, who would be available? Okay, notice you've got Anthony Weaver, 12 years in defensive line coach, but he's the assistant head coach. You would have to demote. Right. You'd have to demote Rich Basaccia and make Anthony Weaver your defensive coordinator. So I don't see that one happening. Right. I think Rich is still going to remain the assistant head coach, seeing that you just took the youngest team in the entire National Football League to the playoffs. Right. So who else would be a good a good choice? Potentially. Let's go down the line here. These are mostly offensive coaches here. All right. Here's my boy right here. You guys can see my cursor circling. Right. Yep. OK. That's the passing game coordinator, secondary uh, coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Again, why why are you keying in on him, Clayton? Two things, three things, really. He played. He was a former player. He spent two years in the NFL. Players will respect him a bit in that regard. Listen, he's not a 10-year vet, but still, he knows what it means to prepare. He's been there. They can't look at him and go, uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's never played the game, right? So that's one thing. 12 years of experience. Is not like this guy just burst on the scene and he's you know, been a coach for five years? You're talking about 12 years of experience. The other thing, what is he responsible for? Passing game coordinator, right? What were they first in? Yards per attempt in the passing game. That's one of your masterminds, in my opinion, behind this secondary or this this Baltimore defense being so good. Now, who's another option? You got out. I've heard people say Chuck Smith, outside linebackers coach. Look at his experience. Two years, twelve years to two years. I'm going with the twelve years, right? Outside linebackers. What do they do? They're you know. They're, they're involved in the run, right? They're involved in rushing the quarterback, okay? This guy coordinated the whole pass defense. So that's why I'm bigger on him than him. Now, listen, if you bring them both in and interviewed them and Chuck Smith knocked it out of the damn park, yeah, that's that's how we got Matt LaFleur, right? They said he interviewed so well. It was like, this is our guy. He's got a vision. Um, you got inside linebackers coach Zachary Orr, seven years in the league, Okay. Defensive quality control, eight years for this guy. Quality control, people people scoff at that. Now, he's probably not a former player. I can't imagine he is with a chin like that. But um, just, not to knock Mr. Stern, but he doesn't doesn't look like this same cat right here. This dude looks like he's thumped a couple heads, right? <laughs> um, with da- Daniel Stern, when you think about quality control, um, I'll tell you someone else who was quality control was Mike McCarthy, right? just to give you an example. Um, so those type of guys, they can really dig in and, and into the, the data and all that. And they spend a lot of time breaking down tendencies, self-scouting, stuff like that. Um, let's see what else we got here. If anybody else, there's a defensive backs coach, uh, Denard Wilson, 12 years. That would be more appealing. That would be the second most appealing guy on this staff personally for me. It would be Denard Wilson. Um, it'd be Chris Hewitt first and Denard Wilson second for me when it comes to Baltimore staff. Anything you want to add there, Tim? Anybody else pop off to you? I can scroll up, down, sideways, whatever you need. No, I'm, I'm with you on this. You know, we've been over the the Baltimore staff and all the guys we'd like to pilfer from from that organization. So, um, no, I'm mm-hmm. with you, man. Uh, I did see uh, Drew D had a good question in the chat. Yeah, read it off, man. How long do you think it'll take us to hire a DC? Will we have one by the end of the month? 
that's the, you, that's the tough part for me is like you, you're the the negative to keeping Joe Barry was you kind of fell behind on interviewing, but we haven't heard anything, have we? As far no, as new man. interviews, so that's why every day that goes by, Tim's over there grinning, going, "They might promote from within." <laughs> yeah, you know, it does kind of because you got to think that you know they had a plan when they made before prior to making this announcement. You know, you got you you have to make a tough decision. You make the tough decision. And then the first thing you do is you get Joe in the room and you have the conversation. But before that happens, I, I got to think they had a short list. I got to think that they had, you know, some sort of a plan with who they want to interview and, you know, how this process is going to go. And, you right. know, we heard LaFleur's comments in the presser a few days ago talking about, you know, I'm going to do this at my pace and, uh, you know, we're not going to rush things, that kind of attitude. So it's really hard to put a a time frame on it. Um, but I'm with Drew D. It's like, you know, end of the month. I, I mean, we're a few days away from that. I don't know if we'll see that, but sooner than later, I would think, you know, the, yeah, I mean, what it is, is and we can figure out what direction we're going, you know, yeah, and the rest of the league really, they really dictate the speed in which that happens. Right. And what just happened? Uh, Tennessee just hired their DC. Right. So if I remember correctly, so no, Jacksonville hired their DC. So you're starting to see dominoes fall into place. That will really get things going. You know, with the old Andrew Brandt saying, I'm sure I'll butcher it, but he said something along the line of uh, deadline spur activity, right? When other teams start grabbing some of that, some of that capital, those pieces, it'll it'll light a fire under your your coaches, right? So Margin Cron says, Can we hire a coordinator off a team that's still in the playoffs? I don't know if the rules have changed. I don't think they have margin cron, but the rule is it, the the head coach can permit people to interview during the playoffs. Now you can't hire them until their season's over because they're under contract and they're obviously their obligation to that current team. So they should be able to interview, but at the same time, I understand if a coach says, Hey, how about we not do that right now? Right. You know, we're trying to win a Super Bowl here. We've seen that in the past with teams. Um absolutely. You know, and where it kind of ruins what's that? And they come out flat, don't they? Yeah, it ruins it ruins the vibe. You know, you want an all-in mentality when, you know, like I said, it's more than, you know, 53 players. It's, you know, staff and, uh, you know, coaches, staff and support support team. I mean, if you've got a, you know, a body or two in that building that's, you know, one foot out the door, even if it's just uh, a formality, that can kind of screw up the vibe when you're trying to make a run at a, at a Super Bowl, you know? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. Um, okay, so – that was Baltimore's defensive coaches. What I came away with, Chris Hewitt and Denard Wilson. Those are my two guys on that staff. Hewitt's still at the top of my list. Oh, I'm, yeah. with I'm with you, Clayton. So let's move on to Kansas City. Why are we talking about Kansas City? They had the number two scoring defense in points per play, number two in points per game, number two passing defense as far as yards per attempt, and then 25th in rushing. Okay, And, again, you're seeing the top defenses, the top team. These are the two top teams in the league, right, for the most part. Now, you got the Niners in there, too. They're actually third in these. The one common thread, how are these teams getting so far into the playoffs every year? and have these dominant programs, right, like like your Kansas City, your Baltimore, and now San Francisco this year. Of course, they're right there back in the hunt. They're focusing on passing defense, and they're throwing the run defense to the wayside. Like, hey, look, you know what? We will sacrifice that. We'll just make sure we keep their explosives and their passing game in check. I know people don't want to hear that. That is the definition of bend but don't break, okay? So there you go. Um, let's look at what's going on with this defense. Obviously, you've got Steve Spagnola. Um, 
awesome defensive coordinator, been around the game forever. He was with the Giants, you guys know, under Mike or under Tom Coughlin when they won the Super Bowl there and they were beating the big bad Patriots, all that, right? So he's off the table. You can't get him. You got assistant defensive line coach Terry Braden. It doesn't say what these guys um are as far as their experience. So I don't like this right off the get-go. Passing game coordinator, Joe. Blaymeyer, it looks like this is structured a little bit different from Baltimore, too, just the way it's laid out. So it's interesting how they do things different. Defensive line uh, coach Joe Cullen, right? You've got assistant strength and conditioning. We're not worried about him. Uh, let's see their strength and conditioning again. Safeties coach Donald DeLacio, maybe is how you say it. I think I crushed that one. Brendan, nice. <laughs> Brendan Daly, that doesn't happen often. we got to run a victory lap on that. Um, <laughs> outside linebacker, Kim, and they got some weird names. Ken Flagioli, I think is how you say it. And uh, you got, <laughs> yeah, Close enough. We'll call it good enough. Yeah, he uh, not only rambled, but he rumbled and stumbled. <laughs> <laughs> Defensive back coach, Dave Merritt. Okay. Uh, let's see who else. Defensive quality control, Alex Whittingham. He's got a weak chin. Don't want him in the building. Um Let's see what else we got here. Offensive quality control and then defensive assistant Rob Wilson. So they've got this thing structured where it's kind of tough to cipher out. I think they do that on purpose too because other teams are looking at this information too, maybe not specifically this site. But they're if they called up Kansas City say, could you specify so-and-so's role? They're going to go, hell no, stay away from my coaches, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it is a game of cat and mouse there. Um, there's no one here that really grabs my attention, although I would like to see – you know, hey, what what is their experience? We could pull it up and cross-reference it on pro, pro Football Reference, but we don't have time to do that. Passing game coordinator will be Joe uh, Joe Blameyer right there. And then, of course, you got uh, Terry Braden with the defensive line. You think of Chris Jones. He probably helped mold Chris Jones into who he is. You got Joe Cullen, another one on the defensive line. I'm thinking secondary, though. Who are the guys who are most involved uh, in having this, uh, this secondary have the second-best pass defense in the league? All right, so let's go with – I can get my pen to write. Let's go with Joe Blameyer. I think I'm saying that right. Let me write him down real quick. Sorry for the pause here in the podcast. I'm just jot this down. You got Joe Blameyer, and let's see who the secondary coach is. You got a safeties coach there. I don't see a specific secondary coach. Do you, Tim? Um, Unless I'm overlooking it. There's another defensive backs coach. You got Merritt, and you've got Donald Alacio. Let's see. Defensive quality control again. Yeah. Um, quality control assistant quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a defensive assistant, Rob Wilson. I think he actually played that that, that game or that name sounds familiar. I'm going to go with Dave Merritt here. Okay. Let's go with Dave Merritt because he is the D backs coach and obviously they played well. I would, I, my, my top choice would be Joe Blameyer if you had to choose between the two. And my top choice in Baltimore would be Chris Hewitt. But again, those are just, I'm going to try to list off a couple of names here from each team to kind of, okay, who would be the top candidates if you were going to try to pluck from some of these best teams in the league here as far as pass defense. All right, let's jump now to the 49ers coaching roster. And let's see uh, who sticks out here. And I'm eager to see how this is worded. This is this, this will be worded totally different from Kansas City, I guarantee it. And when you're at the top of the mountain like they have been for so long, um, they being Kansas City, you, you find these little ways to keep people away from your coaches. It's what Belichick was doing by not naming coordinators, right? Um, he was trying to keep people from understanding exactly who was on the totem pole there in New England. But, all right, so Kyle Shanahan, your head coach, obviously. Cool Levi ad there with uh, George Kittle. That's good placement. I'm sure they're selling it. 
Um, <laughs> see here. Running game coordinator, no. Brian Schottenheimer, I think that's Marty's boy. That's pretty cool. Um, He's been around for a while. Special teams coordinator, no. All right, Steve Wilkes, defensive coordinator, obviously you can't take him, right? That's a good example of what you were talking about last night, Tim, saying an established defensive coordinator, someone who's been a D.C. before. Steve Wilkes was the D.C. in Carolina, I believe, right? He didn't get offered a head coaching job. Shanahan swooped him up, and look how well he's done with this defense at San Fran. So that kind of goes right along with your stance on that. Right. Now, I'm not just quoting you, right? That's kind of – that was – I am – Interpreting that correct, right? When you were yeah, talking. I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning that way, but I'm like I said last night too. You know, not not opposed to someone who's been on a staff for a while, and you know, maybe would be a first time DC, um, someone who's kind of up at the you know middle middle ranks in the coaching tree. You know, looking for that next step. I don't think that's a total uh, a total gamble on our part. I just don't want to see you know someone that you know, coming from college or something like that. I really don't. I want to see NFL level uh, coaching on my staff. Right. I got you, man. Um, So, again, to go over their defense, third in points per game, points per play, fifth in passing offense, 17th in rushing defense. Or I'm sorry, passing defense and 17th in rushing defense. So let's key in on their passing coach or their, their defensive coaches, okay? Defensive backs coach, Daniel Bullock's 17 years experience, okay? <laughs> That's that one that really sticks out, right? That's someone who's been around the game for a very, very long time. Um, assistant to the regional manager here, Patrick. <laughs> hey, it literally says assistant to the head coach, not assistant, <laughs> to, head coach, assistant <laughs> to the head coach. It's hilarious how this stuff's worded. Um, let's see, assistant defensive backs coach, Andrew Hayes Stoker, 13 years experience there. Look at this linebacker coach, Johnny Holland, 36 years now. Passing game, you know, in the passing game and in a pass defense, linebackers are involved in that, right? And also keep in mind, they run a 43 defense. So if you bring someone from this staff, you're going to be switching to a 43 defense just like you would with Kansas mm-hmm. City, okay? And how well, the, how well have San Fran's backers played? Right. right. I mean, it, he's, he's in the meeting rooms with them every day. And he's got his – you know he's got his hands in this passing game coordination. Mm-hmm. So Johnny Holland, that one really sticks out to me. Um, let's see what else we got. Assistant head coach, no. Uh, offensive passing game, no. Assistant quarterback, no. Let's see. Defensive passing game specialist. That's word of weird, ain't it? Nichols, too. He specifies in or uh, specializes in nickels. Nick Sorensen, 21 years. Man, there's a lot of experience on this coaching staff. Holy cow, man. Uh, you wonder why they're so good. Assistant well, that kind of lends, lends a little bit of uh, fuel to my point then. I mean, if you look at this, how, how their staff is structured, you've got yeah, a good absolutely. balance of veteran leadership, and then you've got, you know, you've got some young bucks in there working their way up too. I think that's that's key. Yeah. So for me, my top choice, and you guys don't have to agree, it's totally cool. I'm going to write him down here though. Is Johnny Holland? Really like the fact that he's been in the game for 36 years. My God. And and here's the thing too. People were going with Clayton. Is he a former player? I don't know if he is or not. Kind of looks like a former player, but mm-hmm. if he's not, and I'm sure we can find that information real quick, but if he's not a former player, all he's got to do is go, hey, did you guys take a look at uh, Dre Greenlaw and um, – and uh, uh, God, what's his name in the middle? Our boy. Best Fred linebacker Warner. in the game. Oh, Fred Warner. Fred Warner, yeah. That's what I do with linebackers. Shut your mouth and listen to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that can – that's a real thing. I just clicked on his profile. It says he's uh, also worked as a 49ers run game specialist slash outside linebackers coach from 2018 to uh, 2020. Got it. Good stuff. 
So he would be my first choice. And there was another guy up here, defensive backs coach, Daniel Bullets, 17 years, right? That's a lot of experience. I'm going to write him down too because their passing game is uh, – their defensive passing game is so good there. Uh, but, again, what are you getting if you bring in that, that style of scheme, guys? Remember what we talked about when we scouted them right before we played them? They play a lot of zone. They play a lot of bend but don't break. They don't play a whole lot of man coverage, right? So, um, <laughs> get ready for guys playing off the ball a bit. <laughs> playing a lot of zones. So um, my my pick there would probably be Johnny Holland. So that's essentially what we came up with. All right. Hopefully that exercise kind of connected with people. Oh, man. I'm sorry, Clay. I didn't mean to cut you off. So real quick, I was just digging through here. So he served as linebackers coach for five seasons, 2006 to 2010 with Houston Texans. So he uh, tutelage uh, D'Amico Ryan's Brian Cushing. And then if I scroll down a little further, it said Holland began coaching in the NFL as a defensive quality control coach with the Green Bay Packers from 1995 to 1997. Lord have mercy. Did we just coached the Packers special teams and later spent uh, one season 1999 as the team's linebackers coach. He was part of Green Bay's um, staff when he uh, went to back-to-back NFC championships, including the Super Bowl victory. <laughs> I don't I know don't... if we just cracked the code or something. <laughs> and here's the other thing, too. If you go with him, you make the team that just knocked you out of the playoffs, you make them significantly weaker. Oh, and yeah, and he was a draft pick by the Packers. I didn't mean to cut you off again. 1980 out of an NFL draft. Holland played seven seasons with the Packers where he registered 100 or more tackles in each of his final six. Former player, former Packer, you know, he's been coaching in the NFL as long as we've been alive, right? Um, He's had multiple teams he's gone to and just produced absolute stud performances from the linebacker position. He's right in – that linebacker is right in the middle of that pass defense that was fifth best in the league. You make your – your uh, conference rival weaker by hiring him. Listen, I'm all over Chris Hewitt in that multi-front, but Johnny Holland is just as intriguing. So these are the guys that, that like, not a lot of people are talking about. Now, here's the thing, too. All those assistants we just listed off, you could also, if he is hired as D.C., and he says, hey, I want to bring some of my own staff, and I'm sure Matt LaFleur will go, I'm cool with it. Let's just talk about it. You know, who are you thinking? Imagine plucking two or three more people off of that staff to bring them with you. That's what happened to the Packers, right, when they started losing coordinators. So uh, this is exciting stuff here, man. I love this type of talk. Love this type of a little bit of digging, that's what we find. Yeah, it's that's pretty wild. We didn't even go over Tampa Bay, Vegas, or New Orleans. Those are the three I'm interested in, though, Baltimore, KC, and San Francisco. You guys understand now why I'm not big on Jim Leonard? Yep. Jim Leonard has coached. He's coordinated zero games at the NFL level, right? And you're going back to Mike Pettin's defense if you hire him. Oh, and by the way, three years ago he said, nah, I'm not interested in you guys. You know what I mean? Like, So you're going to go crawling back to him and be like, hey, I know you have any fruit on the tree, but uh, we'd love for you to coach because you played at Wisconsin. What? What are we talking about? So, You anyway. sure about that? <laughs> My top choices would be Chris Hewitt from Baltimore, Joe uh, Blaymeyer from Kansas City, although I'm really low on him, and Johnny Holland from San Francisco. To me, it's 1A and 1B between Chris Hewitt and Johnny Holland. I think I'm leaning toward Johnny Holland now. Yeah, 
after after yeah, four years digging. I like that. Yep, for sure. Yeah. All right. That was a fun conversation. Every time I see a private chat, it's it's usually something simple from Emilio, but I immediately think, oh God, something happened. What, <laughs> what happened in the cast? Somebody got a death threat or something. <laughs> right. Anyway. No, we haven't talked about kicker yet. So no Yeah. Worries. Oh boy. Oh, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. All right, we're at the 53 minute mark. I'm gonna ask you guys, do y'all want to wrap it up here? Or do you all want to uh jump into a little bit of offensive line free agency? It's your call. I'm gonna make Damn. y'all guys, not me. Then you decide. Me? <laughs> I decide. I was gonna defer to you, man. Oh boy. <laughs> I was gonna go with <laughs> I I probably should start the truck and get to work uh here eventually, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's up to you. All right, we're gonna wrap it up there then. Let's go around the horn one last time here. Parting thoughts. Tim, you got anything you want to add? You don't have to, but anything you want to add here, man, um, as far as what we talked about with the coaches and then us kind of leading off the 34-43 talk, anything there? Um, just personally excited to see uh, what the decision's going to be. You know, it's no secret I'm a Joe Barry guy, but, you know, you know, excitement is is what I'm feeling right now because now we know, we know the decision's been made to move in okay. a different direction. And, um, you know, this is fun to dig through all these names, but it's like, you know, we could be completely off base for all we know, you know, I'm still, I'm still, you know, preparing myself that there could be a possible promotion from within, which, you know, of course everyone will cringe at the mere thought of, but in this league, anything's possible. Um, So I think we got to just keep covering our bases and, you know, keep an eye on the radar and, you know, these candidates that are interviewing and then, you know, also consider uh, some people that may be, are in the building already and have already been interviewed. So, um, you know, I'm just excited for the future and to see which uh, direction this defense is going to go because it's going to make things easier on us when we're trying to put a draft board together and, you know, look at uh, what we're going to be running next year. You know, we talk about defensive identity. I mean, technically right now we don't have one. So we got to get everything we've had in our head for the last three years kind of and put that by the, by the wayside and um, try and make some predictions, not really knowing what we're running um scheme wise because you know to to your point clayton we could we could see an all-out change um and go back to the 43 um we could we could stay in the 34 and have different philosophy uh in that in that base defense so i mean a lot of change uh on on the horizon and uh it's just an exciting time to be a packer fan especially when you know this offense is is firing on all cylinders and you know, is just going to do nothing but get better. Uh, everything in, for the 2024 Packers, in my opinion, hinges on on the defense. So uh, this will yeah. be a crucial hire and just excited to break it down with you guys and uh, look forward to the future. Yeah, that's a, and that's the other thing too, man. Um, with these all these teams still being in the playoffs, that might prolong it too. That that might be our answer. We're getting, we're sitting there going, we have an interview for anybody? Maybe that's why. Maybe right. LaFleur has his eyes on these three organizations or one of these three or two of these three, right? So, Emilio, what do you got, buddy? Anything else? Well, that's it. Of course, the three that we're eyeballing are in the, you know, the, the last four, right. uh, last four teams alive. But but what's exciting is you do, you know, five, ten minutes of digging, you poke around three other teams and you click on a couple people's pictures and you find out this information, you know. Hey, yeah. the dude – the dude is exciting to to hear about everything he's done in 35 years. You know, longer than I've been alive, he has been in the you know coaching in the NFL. So 
um, you know, that, that stuff is invaluable. Like we say, every, every time, you know, an NFL player talks, we listen tenfold, you know, their, their word means so much more. So it's not like, um, you know, it's not like he hasn't seen everything, but again, he would, he's coming from a four, three. So what, what's going to maybe happen with the linebackers? Um, you know, how, how are we going to break that down? And all that is going to be, uh, you know, exciting in the off season, but what, whatever decision we made, we said it last night, we got to, we're going to have to make a move and commit to it. Um, so I, it would be really cool, honestly, after doing that digging. I like Johnny Holland. I like what Jacob was saying last night uh, with the dude from Buffalo, Bobby. So uh, Bobby Babich, is that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, maybe, maybe if we see an interview for him just because they got knocked out and then we go from there, but it does, uh, we kind of got to look between the lines. Yeah. We haven't seen interviews. Why is that? Yeah. Uh, but, Yep, definitely. Um, that's the other thing, too. Like, if you go with Baltimore, that would be an easier transition because it's a multi-front. They play some 34, they play some 43 and some exotic looks. That would be a little easier transition with your roster. But if you go Kansas City or San Francisco, you got to do a kind of a complete overhaul. And the thought of Quay Walker playing that inside linebacker position, that mock in a 43 – I don't know, man. I I want to get excited, but at the same time, I'm going, what was his what was the whole knock of him coming out of college? He's not a traditional stack backer. He's one of these guys who can play Sam. Yep. So it's like maybe he would be your Sam backer. And if that's the case, right? I'm gonna drop this down. I'll get back to that in just a second, Eric, as we get ready to wrap up. If that's the case, I'm gonna tell you who my boy is. I want you to look right here at the 21st spot in blue. Jeremiah Trotter Jr. from Clemson. All right. 20 in 2022, PFF grade in college 15th. 2023, 21st, consensus big board, 54th. He's coming in as my 21st best prospect. You guys know inside linebackers don't fly off the board in the first round, right? What if he's there when we pick 25th? I'm glad you asked. I traded out, right? Pick this out. Um, 25th, right? The 25th pick, um, I took uh, Fuaga at offensive tackle with the 41st pick. Everybody go watch Tyler Newbin. Minnesota watch his highlights you will go oh my god he is just I know everybody is so hung hung up on Cooper DeGene and uh and the other guy Kenshin right Kenshin from Miami the safety from uh from Miami I'm telling I'm not big on Cooper DeGene I know people are going to hate me for it but he's way down on my board and one of the reasons why is because this year I mean according to PFF he had a horrible year this year if I was looking at the data correctly and my board isn't complete but I'm pretty sure he dropped significantly and you guys are going, well, I don't care about PFF. Those who are saying that, go back and listen to me break down the wide receivers last year. And I mentioned a name. I said, I'm going to tell you a name to remember. It's Puka Nakua. I said it around the pot. And he was so low down people's draft boards. I bet people probably went through one ear and out the other. Look at what he did this year. You know why he caught my attention? PFF. The hated, dreaded PFF grade. He, I think he was the top-graded uh, wide receiver. His, his last year in college. And he kept dropping on the boards, dropping on the boards. L.A. Rams took him. Where they take him? Like It was late. Wasn't it like the third round, at least the third round, wherever they took him? Dude is a freaking stud. True number one wide receiver and will be for the next 10 years. So, uh, anyway, Tyler Newbin, go check him out. And then with the 58th pick, I took Jeremiah Trotter Jr. So, imagine Quay playing Sam, Jeremiah Trotter Jr., playing Mike, and then Devondre Campbell playing Will in a 43 defense. And, oh, by the way, you got Isaiah McDuffie sitting there coming off the bench, too. 
I don't know, man. I, I'm not opposed to the 43. It's just understand the strengths, the weaknesses, and everything that goes along with it, right? But two of the top three defenses, in my opinion, are the 43 defense. Again, Baltimore being multi, Kansas City being 4-3, San Francisco being 4-3. Then it goes Tampa 3-4, Vegas 3-4, and then New Orleans 4-3. Of course, out there, I think I think the Jets run a 4-3, but I'm not 100% sure. Notice I didn't mention their name because their scoring defense was down. And I'm like, I was even trying to glance and go, okay, what do they do in other aspects? It's just too inconsistent for me. It is. And they've got a ton of great players. I mean, great players. I feel like the defense underperformed based off of who you have up front, who you got on the corners. Like, I don't think he did a good job, me personally. So, and I know they try to blame the offense, but that's just not how my mind operates. I don't look up and go, damn, how did Cleveland score 34 points on you? How did, how did, uh, Miami score 64 points in two games because their offense was bad. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? So, anyway, there you go. Appreciate everybody. This was fun. We'll dive into the offensive line free agency. Maybe we'll get some tips too by the time we go live for PTA Live um, tonight. Maybe we look up and see something uh, that, uh, you know, maybe maybe some interviews are happening that right. time. So, yeah, it's been quiet, right? You know, we haven't even heard, uh, you know, Mr. Rumor Mill Schefter reporting anything. Um, you know, we're not even like, it, it's crazy. I mean, we made this decision, was that Tuesday? When did we get the news about Joe? Was that Tuesday? So, yeah. and you got to figure walk back from that. The decision was probably made, you know, prior to that, obviously. So it's crazy that we haven't heard, uh, heard much about anybody coming for interviews or any potential candidates. But then again, we know how they, how, uh, the, the ladies and gentlemen roll at 1265, you know, keep things close mm-hmm. to the chest. We don't, we try not to let things leak out of the building. And uh, so that could be why, you know, and this is a huge hire. It can't be understated. This is, uh, it's going to be the hire of Matt LaFleur's career right here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, I think they're probably taking this really serious and uh, trying to keep as much close to the chest as they can. Yeah. Eric Sutherland in the chat said, if Leonard was so great, why is he not a coach in Wisconsin anymore? The bum is in the Illinois. <laughs> and, uh, I like uh, Drew come back and said, uh, at Eric, he had hip surgery. Then the Badgers hired a very good candidate from Cincinnati who went to the playoffs, right? My my thing there. Uh, the playoffs? <laughs> you, you can't make the club in the tub, Drew. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. So, yeah, I appreciate Drew. He brought that to my attention the other day that that hip surgery kind of threw a wrench into everything, right? So, um, but, yeah. Let's see uh, what else we have here. Uh, Lee86 says, Jeremiah Trotter is that dude. I agree. I like him. Go watch his tape, too, guys. Go go check him out and see if you like him. Watch the this highlight. Is, this is the era where we all feel – well, I'll leave Emilio out. He's still he's still a young buck. But me and you start to feel old, right, Clayton? It's like, man, all these dudes we watched when we were younger, wow. their, their kids are playing. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing Joey Porter Jr. get drafted. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> Where's your dad yeah. play football for, like – 12 years. Man. Hey, how about Tom Brady? There was somebody there his last year that he played. The, Runyon. The came up to, was it Was it Runyon? Who was it? Somebody came up to him and said, hey, you played with my dad. Tom was like, what? I could have <laughs> swore it was Runyon. Was it? May have been. May have been. Uh, that, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it was John Runyon on the opposite side. It's like, hey, man, it's good to meet you. You played with my dad. And it's like, yeah. what the hell? That still boggles my mind that, you know, Brady came into the league the year I graduated high school and he just retired you know, a couple seasons ago. It's still mind-boggling to me. Yeah, definitely. All right, Drew D says, yeah, I'm not in love with the Gene either. Um, he's good. 
but I'm uh, but I'm lower than others. I am too. And, and listen, we joke about race on here, and and you know, obviously, we don't like to talk about race a lot. But I am going to throw this out here, okay? If he was not white, if he was not a white corner, I've heard that attached more than anything. Is yeah, he's a white, and people are putting the funny memes out, like you know, white people are like, we finally get a corner in the league. He's going to be good, and I'm going. If he wasn't white, if he was not Caucasian, you probably wouldn't be so excited about him, just like you wouldn't be excited about Jim Leonard if he didn't have Wisconsin ties, right? Um, that stuff, that that always cracks me up. That's like Al Harris, right? People yeah. go, right, Al Harris would be the pick. I go, if he had not played for the Packers, would you feel the same way? We know the answer. It's no, <laughs> right? So, but Cooper DeGene, though, it seems like he's got a high ceiling. Um, you know, it, people people see him as, hey, look, here's what he can be. But again, it's just a, a little too inconsistent for me, for sure. Um, I'm sure he made some big plays, and maybe that's what people are seeing. I haven't watched him too much, but yeah. Anyway, there we go. Appreciate you guys. This has been a lot of fun. I see one Marcus Eric Sutherland. Are we safe, Tim? Are we safe? Um, let, well, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, I'd <laughs> say you're all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Eric Sutherland said I had shoulder surgery. My wife and kids didn't send me to Illinois. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love I it. I love it. Yeah. So uh, we'll wait and hear if uh, Joe Barry's going to be in the building too. Um, it sounds like there's a chance they could keep him on staff, but it's definitely not, you know, a slam dunk. Right. Um, the thing – here's the thing. People who are going, I don't want him in the building. I don't want him – he's not going to be looking over anybody's shoulders. And the players absolutely love it. Right. I know that narrative has been created. No one can show me one quote where one player said one negative thing about Joe Barry. The idea that Joe Barry was, is, or ever has been a cancer to that, that locker room is just total BS. And I, I encourage all of you to follow this team a little bit closer. If, if that's truly what you believe, I mean, there's no reason to to run Joe Barry out of that building at all. I literally posted comment after comment. David Bakhtiari commented on how much he liked Joe. Uh, Preston Smith earlier in the season, actually just three or four weeks ago, bragging on Joe. Kenny Clark bragging on Joe. Um, Jair Alexander. Go look at Jair Alexander's pictures when he signed his contract. Him and Joe Barry and they're hugged up in the room, all excited. You know what I mean? Like this this whole false narrative that Joe Barry was just hated in the locker room. We got to get this bum out of here. It's just nonsense. Again, it's the whole – it's the whole Brett Favre thing. It's the whole Aaron Rodgers thing. It's like, okay, someone's got to be demonized. Let's run them out of here. I'll tell you another one that happened. You, you want to know who they demonized back in the day, and it drove me absolutely insane. Now that Ted Thompson has passed away, people pretend like, oh, the Packer fan base love him. He was awesome. BS. They yep. dogged that dude constantly. And all he did was came in, drafted a future Hall of Fame quarterback, and got you a freaking Super Bowl. Bang, that quick. Bring in Charles Woods and all these people. If you don't yep. believe me, watch this. Rogers, who the only place he's going to take you to is the toilet bowl. And then you got Brett Farr, who will take you to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I hear you. I'm, I'm just saying, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> we got to stop with this stuff, boys. It's embarrassing as a fan base. And the Anders Carlson stuff, by the way, he had to, whatever he did, uh, froze his account or whatever, similar to what Tyler Bass did. I think he said it private. So no one could actually comment on his stuff. Come on, what are we doing? There, there, there doesn't always have to be one guy that hey, this is his fault, right? Yep. It's just I know it's a society we live in. It's why divorce rates through the freaking roof and all that. It's well, my feelings suggest something different. Well, facts don't give a rip about your freaking feelings. That's like, right. I bet you treat people with integrity, treat them with respect. 
appreciate what they did, and it's okay to move on. But this whole kicking and screaming and running victory laps because a guy lost his job is just unbelievable to me. But anyway, we're out of here. That's it. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Um, of course, there's one more chat here. When was that one posted? 950. Do we need to hit that one, Tim? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to hit this one for sure. Bruce Skinner in the chat said, just stopping in to say go pack. Me and my buddies at work were watching the news a few days ago and seen Tim there greeting the players at the airport. I yell, hey, it's Tim. I know Tim. that. I know that. Uh, news, my man. He's going to yeah, be. Yeah, uh, kind of realized that late. I was, you know, my wife and I were kind of standing right by the uh, the Fox 11 crew there. And uh, sure enough, you can see a uh, few shots of the back of my head standing at the, <laughs> standing there in the airport. But uh, no, that was a great, great experience. Um, you know, one of the bonuses of moving up here is being able to have that kind of access to the mm-hmm. team. And anytime you want to take a ride and uh, whether it's going to the facility or like, you know, greeting the guys at the airport, you know, bumping into them at the grocery store. That's uh, one of the advantages to to living up here. So uh, certainly hold that in high regard. And I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to be there. So. Yeah. I didn't know I was on TV, though. I yeah. guess I have to Tim almost grabbed go the mic. through and check out the footage. <laughs> Tim grabbed the mic. Yeah, you heard it from a fan. <laughs> <laughs> the first guy. To tell you, pack is back. <laughs> That's what you should have been on camera doing, Tim. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> first two guys I saw was, uh, was Joe Barry and uh, our boy Tom Clements. Man, I had to, had to yeah. say thank you to those guys. Um, Saw Goody for a minute too. You should you should have heard the crowd when Goody Goody walked by. Oh, I bet, man. <laughs> Fired up for that GM. Hey, dude. Someone screamed, "You're the man, Goody!" It might have been me. That <laughs> he responded and said, "I know, I know." Um, yeah, we need to get a T-shirt made, like Bruce says here. Um, I yelled, "Hey, it's Tim! I know that guy." We need a T-shirt with the PTA logo that says, "Hey, it's Tim! I know that guy." That's a good <laughs> one. And have Tim like this. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. All right, we're out of here, guys. Appreciate y'all so much. We will see y'all tonight for PTA Live. We'll hit any news that might break as far as the D.C. search. Um, We'll dive into some offensive line free agents and see kind of what makes sense. Drew D. in the chat found one yesterday that's got me really excited, a center that you could potentially get for a pretty decent price. Probably won't happen just like everything we're talking about, but, hey, that's the offseason. This is what we talk about. So, We will see you guys this evening. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go.